Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Trevor Estes. Enjoy. in a series for the last, I don't know, five or six weeks on the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians. And we're going to kind of hit the timeout or the pause button on that series for the month of June. And in the month of June, we're doing a a little mini series called um, Keeping in Step with the Spirit. Keeping in step with the Spirit. And so kicking off today, which is the day of Pentecost, this is the the day on the church calendar when we remember the day when Jesus' first disciples first experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so this is is the Pentecost. There There are Christians around the world today. We are all leaning into the fact that this is the day that we remember what happened on Pentecost. And we don't just tell the story of what happened then. We say, God, do it again. Heavenly Father, what you did then, do it again in our time, in our place, in us. And so we're, we're all gathering to do that. So we're launching this series on walking with the Spirit. We're launching it today, but it's going to continue through the month of June. And um, I'll start by asking this. Do, do we have any, um, any gift givers in the room, people who like to give gifts? It, okay, well, maybe we'll do the easy one first. Anybody like to receive gifts? <laughs> yeah. That one's, that one's easy. I like receiving gifts. Some of us also really enjoy giving gifts. And, uh, and it's, I want you to think about that experience of giving a gift to someone and how you think about, you know, typically when you give a gift to someone, typically, I mean, sometimes we give gifts to strangers and that's a, that's a great expression of the gospel. But more often than not, when we're giving a gift, we're giving a gift to somebody that we love. Somebody who is, is dear to our hearts, right? Is a family member or a, or a dear friend. And so as we think about a gift for them, we think about a gift that would be really appropriate for them. Uh, maybe a gift that we know they really want or that we, we, we realize they don't know they need this, but they need this, right? And so we think about those gifts and we plan for that. And there's an excitement and anticipation, I think when, when, when we're giving that kind of a gift, oftentimes there's as much joy on the, on the giving end as there is on the receiving end. Because we're, we're envisioning what it's going to be like to give them this gift that is just perfect for them, that is personal for them, that is the gift they need. I heard a story recently about a, a woman named Sarah who was planning a gift for her, for her mother. Now, Sarah, at this point, she was a, uh, a, an adult, grown woman. She was uh, out of college. She was pursuing her career. And uh, she had this, literally, and during college, she had to do this uh, assignment where she had to write a bucket list of things she hoped to do someday. And she wrote on her bucket list, she goes, someday, I want to take my mom to Disneyland. And, and, and the backstory to that, to make a long story short, is that her mom had taken uh, their family when she was young, she'd taken their family to Disneyland once. And, and it was an amazing experience. They all loved it, and they never could afford to go back. And so as an adult, she thought, this is what I want to do for my mom. The thing that she did for me and my siblings, I want to do for her. 
And so it was a bucket list thing, and she planned for it. And, and, and the year that she thought, okay, I think I can actually do this. I've been working in my career. I've got some money saved up. She, she planned for it. She researched the tickets. She researched hotel rooms. She researched flights. She, she, she did the whole thing, and anticipation was building in her. And, and when she finally pulled the trigger on it, it was May where she actually bought the tickets. And then she was, she was doing it for her mom for Christmas. And so she had seven months to wait. And it was driving her crazy. And at one point, she actually slipped up and actually emailed her mom a picture of the tickets, thinking she was emailing it to her sister. And then she had to lie and cover it up. And her mom's like, what is this? And she's like, those scammers, how dare they? You know, <laughs> these evil spam bots, right? But she was so eager for it that finally she couldn't wait till December and she, she gave it to her for her birthday, which was much earlier than Christmas. Now, I heard that story and I heard this longing in her to give this gift to someone that she loved. And I remembered that story. I heard it a while back, but I remembered that story this week as I was going back through Jesus describing the Holy Spirit, describing the day of Pentecost for his disciples. And I was struck by the fact that he continually calls it a gift. And now oftentimes in the church, we think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but oftentimes we're thinking about special capacities, supernatural uh, capacities or abilities that the Holy Spirit empowers in people. But today what I want to talk about is not the the Holy Spirit, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit as a gift. Because that's actually how Jesus described it. And I want you to hear the emotion and the anticipation. We're going to go back through some some passages that are probably familiar to you. I want you to hear the anticipation in Jesus. Because he's giving a gift that he has selected for his followers, for the people that he loves. And he's picked the perfect gift. And he's so excited to give it. And he can barely wait till the right day. And he's going to do that. So... Here we go. So um, we're going to look at four aspects of the Holy Spirit as a gift. We're going to look at number one, why did Jesus believe the Holy Spirit was the perfect gift for his followers? Number two, when is the gift of the Holy Spirit given? Number three, what is our part in receiving this gift? And number four, how do you know? How do you know you've received the gift? So we're going to pick up with number one, uh, why did Jesus believe the Holy Spirit was the perfect gift for his followers? And we'll answer it a couple ways. First of all, Jesus didn't want his followers to experience being orphaned or abandoned between his first and second coming. As we, um, we pick up in the text today, we're going to be in John 14 through 17, and those, we're going to be jumping a few different places in those chapters. And that's kind of like Jesus' final sermon to his disciples. And it's, it's not really a sermon. It's, uh, it's just his final moments with them as he was preparing for his crucifixion. And in, that, and, and in that, as we read that passage, and if you read it through John 14 through 17 in its entirety, it's such a rich time. And Jesus is very aware that he is going to be violently ripped out of the lives of his followers. The people who have become his best friends. Jesus is, you know, we think about the 12 disciples. Jesus is their best friend. They would all say, you know, John would say, I'm the one that Jesus loved. They would all say that Jesus was their best friend, but they were also his best friends. And he was considering the fact that he was going to be violently ripped out of their lives in a way that was going to be devastating. And then all of a sudden he was going to be given back. He was going to be restored to them just three days later. And then 
He's going to be taken out of their lives again, less violently, but it's kind of like this whiplash that he knows they're going to be experiencing. And he doesn't want to leave them as orphans. And he knows that there's going to be a gap in between this first coming that he's about, he's bringing to an end and his second coming when he returns. And that not only these followers of Jesus, but every follower of Jesus in between is going to live in this world that is still fallen, where there is still all of the, the residue of sin and death and redemption that's not yet complete. So he doesn't want them to experience being orphaned or abandoned. And so he leaves them a gift. But realize this, the gift is not a, it's not a what, it's a who. Listen to what he says, John 14, 15 through 18. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give, he will give you another advocate who will never leave you, who won't be violently ripped out of your lives. He will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now. He lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. It's his little Daniel Day-Lewis moment. I will find you. My wife hates it when I do that. Jesus said that he would leave not a gift that would not be a what, but it would be a who. It's the Holy Spirit. So let me just talk doctrinally, just very briefly. Here's what, here's what Christians, followers of Jesus, believe about the nature of God. And this is something that we can't entirely explain. A God that we could explain would not be God. But, but big picture, here's what we believe, that God is Trinitarian in nature. Meaning that God is one God manifesting himself in multiple ways as three distinct persons. And so the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity. So we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is fully God in the same way that God the Father is God and Jesus is God. Holy Spirit is God only where Jesus took on an earthly body in his incarnation and, and continues with the body throughout eternity, by the way. Resurrected Jesus had a body. He said, look, I've, I'm, I'm here. You can touch me. Give me something to eat. So Jesus has a body. The Holy Spirit does not have a body. He's not embodied. The Holy Spirit has been, uh, will be an indwelling presence. Jesus said in this, in this text, he said, the Holy Spirit has been with you, but will be in you. And what he's talking about is that, and, and this is very important for our, for our text this morning, is that Jesus as a human had leaned into being a, a human being empowered by the indwelling spirit of God. He hadn't lived his earthly life by leaning into his divinity. By, by, he was fully God and fully human, but he didn't lean into his divinity. He lived as a man filled with and empowered by, yielded to, surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And that's so important because if, if what he was doing was, was leaning into his divinity, that's not a model that anybody else can follow. But if, in fact, he's living as a man filled with the Holy Spirit, as a human being filled with the Holy Spirit, well, then he can call others to follow his example and say, follow the pattern that I've set for you. 
And so on Jesus' baptism, we find out in the very beginning of the book of John, in John chapter 1, that when he was baptized in water, John tells us, John the baptizer tells us this story. He says, he said, I saw him when he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. It wasn't literally a bird, but it descended like a dove from the heavens and it landed on him and it remained. It remained, which means he lived his life empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Okay? So John witnessed that, and this indwelling Holy Spirit was the means for Jesus' intimacy with the Father. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus kind of sneaking away at times to be alone, not alone by himself, but alone with his heavenly Father. And that was because the indwelling Spirit made that connection possible, right? We see that the Holy Spirit was his source of empowerment for obedience and, and for doing the miraculous. Again, Jesus was a human man empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And that's why he could, do, he could do miraculous supernatural things and then say to his disciples, you're going to do things like that. Not because they were divine, but because he was going to give them the same spirit. So his gift for them was the capacity to live their earthly lives the way that he had lived his I want you to realize that Jesus, as he's preparing for his death and resurrection and everything that he's going to personally experience, he's focused on his followers, on his best friends. He's not just thinking about himself. He's thinking about others and he's thinking about what's the gift he's going to give them. And in this text, we, we begin to see this thread of him anticipating with joy and with excitement. The moment when, when his disciples experience the same thing that he's experienced throughout his earthly life, which is the indwelling Holy Spirit that remained on him, also remaining in them, with them, on them. So, number two. PowerPoint just locked up. So Jesus didn't want his followers to experience being orphaned or abandoned between his first and second coming. Instead, he wanted all his followers to live out of the same intimacy, leading and empowering that he had led with. And here's what Jesus told them. Here's the shocking thing. I, I always find this amazing if I stop and think about it. Jesus told them that this gift of the Holy Spirit was an even better experience of Emmanuel. Emmanuel, Jesus' name, Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. That the creator has not put creation into motion and stepped away and left his creation. That God has come and made his home with us. That God dwells among people. That's Emmanuel. And Jesus said, they've experienced Emmanuel in his earthly ministry, those three years where they were walking with him, talking with him. They were, they were asking him questions. They were making jokes together. Like they had experienced Emmanuel in a very tangible way. And he said, I've got something even better than that. Even better than what they'd experienced during those three years. This is what he said in John 16. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a while longer. But now I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because what I've told you. You're grieving because I've said I'm not going to be here with you forever. But the fact, in fact, it is best for you. It is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. 
Jesus says, this is best. I have to think those guys were questioning. I, I don't know, Jesus. But it is better because in this some 2,000 years now since Jesus left, there's been the opportunity, the invitation for every single follower of Jesus to experience the kind of intimacy that he experienced in his earthly life. Intimacy with the Father and empowerment to love others well. In John 14 through 17, and if we read all the four of those chapters, and I'll just give that to you as a, as a cross-reference, you can read a broader sample of all the things that Jesus said as he spoke about the, the Holy Spirit, but he spoke about it with such great anticipation. He would say, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll, you'll experience this. When the Holy Spirit comes, you'll experience this. When the Holy Spirit comes, he'll do this. And so he, he just gives various facets, various manifestations of what the indwelling Spirit's presence in their lives will look like. And it always has to do with intimacy with God, knowing him as he truly is, and making him known to others, being empowered to be his witnesses, to be his church in the world. So as Jesus prepared them for his leaving, as he, so as we, as we pick up now on the day of Pentecost, Jesus is, he's, he, we're moving towards this moment where the spirit is going to be poured out, but it's, it's on the other side of his death and resurrection. He's, he's violently ripped out of their lives and he's restored. And there's this 40 day window in which he appears to them. We're going to read about that briefly right here in Acts chapter one. During the 40 days after Jesus suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift that he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Do you hear him leaning into that same thing that he had experienced that John told us about? In John chapter 1, that on the day that Jesus was baptized, when he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove and remained. He said, that's coming for you. That's coming. Which brings us to the second question. So we, we know that Jesus anticipated this being the perfect gift, a gift that would empower his disciples to live the way he lived during his earthly life and to continue his mission in the world. So we know why Jesus said it was a great gift, but the, but the question is when? When, when is it given? And that brings us to the day of Pentecost. For that answer, we're going to look at, at two, actually two Pentecosts today. Pentecost, um, there was the first Pentecost, and Pentecost is still happening. We're going to look at two today. So our, our story picks up in Acts chapter 2. It's now 10 days after Jesus' ascension, um, which means that uh, he, had, he had returned to the Father. He's no longer earthly present and, um, and this is what it looks like. There's 120 men and women gathered together. So as we hear the story, don't think of it as the remainder of the first disciples. Okay, we have the 12 disciples, Peter, James, John, all those guys, less Judas at this point. Okay, they're all present, but there's more than just those 11. There's 120 people together, both men and women. And they're waiting because Jesus had said, don't try and do the mission until the gift comes right? So they're waiting, they're praying, they're anticipating this good gift. It's interesting, there's, it's kind of like a callback to the book of Exodus and Moses, because Moses ascended up the mountain when they, when they came out of Egypt. He, Moses ascended up the mountain, and he came back with the law, 
with the Ten Commandments, with, with a, uh, instructions of this is what it looks like to have relationship with God. And now Jesus, in the same way, he's ascending to the heaven. Only what he's sending back down is not the law. He's sending his very presence. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Pick up in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled, or we could use the word remained, same word as for Jesus, settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Again, the, the, this, is, this is their moment where they're experiencing the same sort of indwelling that Jesus had. Where, and, and they're each becoming, in, in fact, a temple of the Holy Spirit. They're, they're gathered together, and so together they are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but they're also each being filled with God's presence. Here we see the Holy Spirit gives gifts, and we see one gift. So, so we're not going to lean into this thing on the gift of, of speaking in other languages. We're not going to lean into that this week. Next week, we are going to get into the gifts of the Spirit. But again, today we're looking at the gift of the Holy Spirit as a gift, so, um, so we're going to continue in verse 5. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. Devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by these believers. Those scattered through Jerusalem are, are from throughout the Roman Empire. The reason they're there is because they've made a pilgrimage back to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. So oftentimes in church, when we think of Pentecost, we think about this moment in Acts chapter 2, which is appropriate for us. But the Feast of Pentecost preexisted this day by hundreds and hundreds of years. It was, it was one of three primary agricultural-based feasts that, the, um, that the, the early Jewish people had celebrated throughout their existence. And, and this always brought them back to Jerusalem. That was kind of their bucket list thing is to celebrate Passover and Pentecost in Jerusalem. And so the reason that, that, that Acts says here that there was devout Jews from every nation, is, well, they're there. They're, they're foreigners who have come to Jerusalem and they're there to celebrate Pentecost. It brings us to the question, what, what has God been waiting for? Jesus said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until the, whole, until the Heavenly Father sends this gift that we've been preparing for you. And what was he waiting for? Why, why, did, why give this 10-day gap? Why didn't he, he leave and ascend to the heavens and the Holy Spirit come down immediately? Why, why this 10-day gap? Because God was strategically waiting for the day of Pentecost. Because the Holy Spirit is not only about, about personal intimacy with God, it's also about outward mission to the world. And so God the Father waited for the perfect moment. There's this woman that I, I read, told you the story about, Sarah, who was waiting for the perfect moment to give her, her mom this gift, and she was just so excited. And she, Jesus was very excited to give this gift, but he was waiting for this moment when there would be foreigners from all throughout the world gathered in one place and could hear the gospel proclaimed in their language. There's a direct connection between the gift of the indwelling spirit and our capacity to be Jesus' witnesses in the world. Verse 7, they were completely amazed 
How can this be, they exclaimed. These are the, the crowds that have gathered. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome. They're all just going through this routine of where, where do we come from? Cretans, Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own language about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they're just drunk. That's all. <laughs> On this day when Jewish pilgrims from throughout the known world would be in Jerusalem to observe the, the feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon those that were in the upper room. And the Holy Spirit came in a way that was demonstrable. It was palpable. It was tangible. And it was powerful. That was that expression of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The watching world reacted in a whole spectrum of ways. I studied this text actually in a different version than what I'm presenting today. I studied it in ESV, and these are the words that were described in ESV to the response of the crowds who witnessed this. Bewildered, amazed, astonished, perplexed, and they ridiculed. But, but if we keep reading the story... Some of them believed. In fact, 3,000 of the people that were gathered that day heard the, the story of Jesus being told to them in their own language in a way that wasn't even possible. It, it, it got past their defenses because who are these Galileans speaking my language? And they heard the story of Jesus told and the Holy Spirit did something in their hearts as well. And they were baptized and they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because a people who have received and are living out of the gift that is the Holy Spirit are able to be a faithful witness to Jesus in the world. There's this quote from Archbishop Justin Welby. He said this, the instruction to wait for the Holy Spirit is so important because without the Spirit's empowering presence, it is impossible to be a faithful witness to Christ. We need this gift of the Father to be the people Christ is calling us to be. This is modern day. The Spirit then isn't for some private experience, but for the sake of our life for Christ in the world. <laughs> so that's the story of the first Pentecost. And the whole world, every follower of Jesus ever since that moment has lived on the other side of Pentecost, where, where in, a, in a sense, we, we're all post-Pentecost people. But Pentecost is still happening. It's still happening in individuals' lives. It's still happening for the first time when somebody first receives the, the gift, the baptism of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And it happens again when people are renewed and refilled once again. When people gather together and we say, come Holy Spirit, like we sang this morning. It's, an, it's another Pentecost. I want to read you another story about Pentecost. This one is uh, from John Wesley. I have John Wesley here on my mug today. As a young man growing up in England in the 1700s, so 17, some 1700 years after this first Pentecost, John Wesley was a deeply committed Anglican priest, but he was one given to crushing legalism. He was unsure of God's love, and he compulsively ranked and graded his spiritual performance in an attempt to gain God's favor. 
So he's, he's somebody who believes in Jesus, is trying to follow Jesus, and even share Jesus with other people, but is constantly feeling, feeling this internal angst, this, this uncertainty if God actually loves him, if he's done enough to earn God's love. And so he's never at spiritual peace. He's not ministering out of a place of joy. He's ministering out of a place of working for his salvation. After traveling with his brother Charles to be missionaries in America, so he's an Amer- he comes from England to America as a missionary. They were in Savannah, Georgia, where they were uh, working with the military, and they were also trying to evangelize and, and share the message of Jesus with um, Native Americans. But that ended horribly. And so he returned to England exhausted, depressed, discouraged, and weary. Can anybody identify with the things that he experienced? John Wesley returned from this endeavor, exhausted, depressed, discouraged, and weary. Reluctantly, he agreed to attend a Moravian worship meeting in Aldersgate Street, London, where he met with God in a way that transformed him. In his own words, he later described his Aldersgate experience. This is the week of Pentecost in 1738. Pentecost happens, and his brother Charles actually had his own encounter with the Holy Spirit. A few days later, this is what happened to John Wesley. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a a society in Aldersgate Street. About a quarter before nine, while the preacher was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, so the preacher was actually just reading Martin Luther's um, uh, his his preface to the Book of Romans. So the, the preacher's reading the preface. He was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ. I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt that I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and that he had saved me from the law of sin and death. In that moment, legalism fell away, replaced by a deep assurance of God's love for him. That's the intimacy that he began to experience when the Holy Spirit came upon him and his heart was strangely warmed. My says, my cup is strangely warmed. Wesley preached, legalism fell away, but along with that intimacy came a burning passion to share God's love, inner transformation and outward mission. Wesley preached about the need to encounter Jesus personally. He took the deep and radical step of preaching, not from a pulpit, but out in the streets and fields. Joining with other revivalists, he called the nations poor to follow Christ, which they did by their tens of thousands. This is another Pentecost. Now, did it come with roaring wind, tongues of fire, uh, languages being preached in other languages? Not this time. Same Holy Spirit, different manifestation. In his case, he said, my heart was strangely warmed, but then the result, it looked a lot like the result in Acts. Thousands of people coming to know Jesus. In his lifetime, he traveled some 250,000 miles on horseback to teach all over the country. He preached around 40,000 sermons and planted radical communities of prayer, mission, and justice across Britain. John Wesley was a champion of the poor and a campaigner against the slave trade. He understood that the kingdom of God comes and it touches, it affects the way we do things even here in this world. And so he campaigned against slave trade. Disregarding hierarchies about class and sex, he trained both non-ordained men and radically for his day, women, to disciple many people coming to Jesus. 
Pentecost is not just a one-time experience that happened in the book of Acts, the second chapter of Acts. It's an ongoing experience that, uh, that we all need. We see in Wesley's life that the, the initial experience of receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit doesn't follow a pattern or a formula. So we think, when we think about Pentecost, I would say this, the first outpouring did not become a pattern or a formula. Acts goes on to tell many different ways the Holy Spirit's empowerment was manifested in and through the lives of the church. Church, today we find ourselves in a similar time. I think about those disciples. They were in a moment of significant transition. Learning to, to go from having Jesus physically present with them to learning what it means to be filled with his presence and to be attentive to the spirit of God in a way that required something different of them. It required a different type of surrender, a different sort of uh, awareness, a different sort of yieldedness, a different sort of obedience. We find ourselves in a time of transition about how to be the church in ways that are faithful and effective in both showing and sharing the love of Jesus. And we too need every manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Jesus would say the, the same thing to us. He would say to us as his followers, he would say, I'm sending you on mission to be my witnesses in your world. I'm sending you to contend for the kingdom of God to come in every way. In, in, in justice, in abundance, in feeding the poor, in setting captives free, in, in contending for those who don't have a voice. I'm contending for peace. Like he sends us with that and he would say the same thing to us. He'd say, don't try to do it on your own. Jesus did not live his own life as a human nor by, by leaning into his divinity. He lived as a human being, empowered by, baptized in, filled with, yielded to the indwelling Holy Spirit. I've got a lot more content here. I'm not going to go through it all. I've got a couple of things. What's our part? One of our part is knowing that we can't control our manufacturer. We can't just try and recreate what happened. We can't like say, okay, we're going to keep 120 people. Everybody else get out. We'll sit here and wait for 10 days. We can't try and, and follow a formula or pattern of manufacturing. We can't, we can't even follow Wesley's pattern by drinking out of a cup with his picture on it. Say, oh God, you know, if you don't do it like you did in Acts 2, just strangely warm our hearts today. See, we don't, we don't control how it happens, but what we can do is we can ask. Jesus told us to wait with expectation, with open hearts, and he told us to ask. And Jesus tied our ask to the nature of God as a perfect heavenly father. In, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus teaches the disciple a daily prayer to pray. We know it as the Lord's Prayer. Part of it is to say, give us today our daily bread. And then at the end of it, at the end of that prayer, he's talking to the disciples and he says this. He says, you fathers, those of you who are fathers or mothers in this case, if your children ask you for a fish, do you give them a snake? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And I just want to end with that today that we would be a people who ask, a people who come together with open hearts, 
open minds, open spirits, with expectation that God, would you do it again? Would you move in our wits? We don't want to just read about Pentecost 2,000 years ago or, or 300 years ago. We want Pentecost today. We want you to awaken our hearts so that we care about a hurting world. You know, I don't think it's possible to, to have a loving heart in this world without the Holy Spirit, not entirely, because it just gets so weary. We're just constantly inundated with news of more violence, more death, more destruction, more shootings. And, and you know that the antidote to just getting a calloused heart about that is to say, Holy Spirit, will you give me a, a caring heart? Will you give me a heart of, of flesh instead of a heart of stone? Will you send me out into my world to care? And Would you empower me? So our, our worship team is going to come back and there's, other, oh, there's so many more things we could talk about. We could talk about how do you know you've received the gift? Sometimes there's tangible experiences like what we read about today. And, and, the, and the, the, the range of those experiences is pretty broad as you saw today. Sometimes we don't feel anything. We just have to trust that a heavenly father gives good gifts. And that if we've asked that he has sent, will send, will continue to breathe upon us. Pastor Mike, in, in our devotions this week, he, he really leaned into it. And if you don't know about our devotions, we have devotions that Pastor Mike writes. You can find them on our website. You can get them delivered as an email or listen to them as a podcast. But he talked, he developed extensively this week about how the word for spirit is the same word as wind and breath. We're saying, God, would you breathe upon us? Would you blow through our hearts? Where, where we're weary, like, like John Wesley was, of trying to even do the Christian life apart from you. Would you restore us by the power of your Holy Spirit in us? We're hungry for you. We're thirsty for you. Would you, if you're here in the room, would you stand with me? If you're at home or wherever you are, I would encourage you to just choose a posture of openness. What does that look like? We ask you to stand because it, it's, it, it's a movement saying, God, I, I'm making space. I, I'm not just passive. I want to receive whatever you have. Oftentimes we put our hands out or our hands up. Sometimes we kneel. But can we just ask the Holy Spirit to come again today? Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, thank you for this gift that you considered and you chose for your followers, that you chose that we might have the same kind of intimacy and joy that you experienced as an earthly man empowered by, filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank you for not leaving us as orphans, Thank you for not calling us to a mission that you don't also empower. God, would you search us this morning? Search us and know our hearts. Would you try us and know our thoughts? And in any way where you see places where we're resistant or we're uh, ignorant, 
or we're hesitant about who you are and what you do, would you touch those places, cause us to be fully open to you? We open ourselves to the gift that you want to give today, and we trust you However you want to manifest your presence in our lives and through our lives, that's what we want. So we give you a blank check. We give you an unqualified yes because you are trustworthy and good. Come Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.